0: Hello and welcome to Let's Get Psyched, a program that explores the controversial and challenging issues from a psychological and psychiatric perspective, as well as the implications for clinical practice. I'm your host, psychologist, Dr. Aaron Parks of the University of California Riverside's Counseling and Psychological Services, and I'm joined by my co-host, child and adolescent psychiatrist, Dr. Toshi Yamaguchi. Hi, Toshi. Hi, everyone. And third-year psychiatry resident, Dr. Alan Atkins. Hi, Alan. Good evening. The views expressed on Let's Get Psyched are those of the speaker. They do not represent the University of California, UC Riversides Counseling and Psychological Services, or UCR School of Medicine. Well, on this episode of Let's Get Psyched, we are going to do a deep dive into the Goldwater Rule, which is put out by the American Psychiatric Association. Uh, and we have and we're delighted to have as our guest for this discussion, Dr. Bandy X Lee. Dr. Lee is a New York based psychiatrist. Uh, she's a forensic psychiatrist. She was a chief resident at Harvard's Massachusetts General Hospital. She has a long list of achievements, including having taught at the Yale School of Medicine and Yale Law School, and served as a fellow on the National Institute of Mental Health. She's a specialist in public health approaches to violence prevention, who consulted with the World Health Organization and initiated reforms at New York's Rikers Island Correctional Facility. She has contributed to prison reform in the United States and around the world, and she's currently president of the World Mental Health Coalition. Dr. Lee, thank you for joining us on Let's Get Psyched.
1: Thank you so much for having me back.
0: I was thinking maybe some of our listeners will not know what the Goldwater Rule is. You have probably immersed yourself in the Goldwater Rule, Dr. Lee, uh, because of how much it's impacted your life. But I was wondering, maybe we could get some history, some
2: background. Would someone want to do that? Uh, Alan. Okay, so Goldwater Rule comes out When uh, in the 60s, Barry Goldwater, who was a um, kind of reactionary conservative candidate to president or for presidency, who wanted to undo a lot of the um, crazy social revolution and um, all of, you know, all of the hippie energy that was kind of going on. um, There was a, I believe, a magazine that basically pulled a huge number of psychiatrists, who all said that this person wasn't fit to be president. Um, and, and so by doing so, I think the subtext here is that psychiatrists involve themselves in politics in a way that, and, and in our country, particularly where politics, I guess this isn't particularly unique, but where politics are, almost like life or death team sports. And you can really make or break friendships, relationships, and professional credibility based on if someone p- agrees with your politics. And so for the survival of the field and the field's credibility, and maybe even uh, kind of selfishly for their own survival as an organization, um, the APA, the American Psychiatric or- um, Association, came out with this rule that, and it was it's an interesting rule. On one hand, it says, I think something like psychiatrists are um, uh, obligated to better their community's understanding of mental health, but on the other hand, they are not allowed to diagnose someone who one they haven't treated, and two they haven't gotten consent from. And the idea here is, you know, it's it's a fantastic rule that we I think we need to respect immensely um, because we no one wants to be psychoanalyzed by someone they didn't sign up to be psychoanalyzed by. There's already a big fear of what that means. What are you doing? Why are you doing this? Why are you seeking to understand me? Is it really to help? Or are you just labeling me? Um, And so it, it, it kind of assures that we're being professional. We're doing what we're doing to actually help people. And we're doing what we're doing to help people who want us to help them. um, Not for our own gains or for our political motives. So that starts to come into question when um, you kind of start looking at some of the other psychiatric mandates we have. One of them is like duty to warn. And when in general, public health starts to get involved and you have someone who could be dangerous. And with that, I'm going to defer to probably someone who knows much, much more about the Goldwater, the rule than I, because uh, she has been... Um, taken to task about whether or not she violated it for um, quite a while now.
1: Okay, well, that was a great description. And um, the historical context is important because the uh, the, the Goldwater campaign was um, the reason why this rule was put in because uh, the APA was embarrassed. Um, Not that uh, less than 10% of those psychiatrists who were surveyed came out with an irresponsible diagnosis. Um, Basically, at that time, they simply did not have the information to diagnose. And yet, um, about 10% less than that uh, came forth and Fact Magazine, which was considered a tabloid magazine at the time, uh, amplified that to say that over a thousand psychiatrists are saying uh, that Barry Goldwater was unfit. Um, now, uh, the gold, I, I might emphasize that the Goldwater Rule is nothing uh, exceptional. It only follows regular uh, good standards of practice in that we do not diagnose people in public whom we haven't interviewed to do a valid um, assessment of. And we usually, by that time, we have a patient provider relationship. So we obtain consent to publicize whatever we have spoken about uh, or get their permission beforehand. So there's nothing new in the so-called Goldwater Rule. I would emphasize it's not a rule, it's an annotation to a principle. So uh, our ethics are consisting of principles, none of them are rules, none of them are laws. Um, And uh, to our principles of medical ethics, the American Psychiatric Association's added, added annotations. So it's an annotation to a principle of an association that not all psychiatrists belong to. Of course, until now, it's been well-reputed, so most people uh, chose to belong to it, but now that's starting to change. Um, And no other mental health association has that rule so it's important to keep clear that uh, the the so-called rule was really not something that was controversial. Um, although people thought it was outdated from the time that it was entered into the books in 1973. Um, people didn't know why it needed to be there. It was a political move rather than um research or psychiatric practice driven move and by 1980 when dsm3 came out and diagnoses were mostly based on observation rather than introspective interviews it became much less relevant so that's perhaps why there haven't been many scholars on it it hasn't been taught in residency programs and most i i would even say most, psychiatrists had not heard of it until the Trump campaign.
2: And we should jump in here just for a second, because I'm realizing that our, our intro from last time doesn't necessarily carry over to this time. So um, Dr. Lee is speaking to us about the Goldwater Rule, because she wrote a New York Times bestselling book, let me, just, Aaron. We, I'm, I'm good to say this, right? We didn't cover this in the. It's sort of in the intro, right? Oh, but, go okay. ahead, Alan. Yeah. She, she, she wrote a best-selling book. That maybe, uh, in some ways, she's been a victim of the book's own success. Although none of that money actually went to her. Um, it was don't she did, she donated it. But um, the book is sharing her concern as an expert, as a career expert in predicting violence in psychiatric patients that Donald Trump could uh, be a cause of violence in our country and thereby um, became a breaker of the Goldwater rule in the eyes of the APA. Now Dr. Lee, um, it sounds like you're not saying, I came to this uh, meet, this podcast thinking that Dr. Lee broke the Goldwater rule but did it because, she had greater concern for the safety of our nation. But it sounds like what you're saying is really that you actually didn't break the Goldwater Rule, neither in spirit nor in technical um, thinking.
1: That's right. Uh, In fact, I used to be a strong supporter of the Goldwater Rule. Uh, I've been a forensic psychiatrist for over 20 years. And in fact, I am... Uh, one of the categories of practitioners who are exempt um, because forensic psychiatrists are often asked to diagnose without having interviewed the person uh, and to give their testimony in public, in courts. Uh, and yet I have kept with the Goldwater Rule because I felt that it was a higher standard and greater respect for those who might be presenting themselves in public. Um, so as a staunch supporter of the Goldwater Rule in the past, the American Psychiatric Association's decision to alter the rule to suit trump presidency in other words to change the definition of professional opinion in quotes because it's a legal phrase professional opinion means either diagnosis or conclusion about someone's psychiatric state that you can present to the court as evidence so um, that's very different from any opinion of a professional or any comment that is educated based on having treated uh, hundreds of similar patients uh, based on decades of research knowledge. Um, that kind of commentary may not, may or may not be a diagnosis. But the American Psychiatric Association was saying that professionals would not be allowed to say anything, any objective aspect, be it speech, behavior or affect, expressed emotion on the part of the public figure, unless we have personally interviewed him or her. And uh, that of course is not how we practice psychiatry because we take into consideration vast amounts of knowledge uh, an
3: external observation other than what we obtain from a personal interview. And why do you think, Dr. Lee, that the APA wants to shut that down?
1: I was not sure in the beginning. I thought that they had their own ethical reasoning, that if we were all concerned about ethics, then if we came together and had a scholarly discussion, that these mysteries would be solved, but they went out of their way to prevent any kind of discussion. Uh, First, I mentioned that I knew a number of ethics committee members. Uh, The ethics committee was bombarded with letters and protest letters uh, since their opinion, uh, immediately after their opinion, in fact, and assumed that they would be reconvening, but that never happened. to their surprise and to their own questioning. Um, Then uh, the APA was bombarded with letters stating um, that members had no say in this opinion. Uh, It was unfair that a 12 member committee would decide the fate of uh, all its membership that none of them could speak up. And uh, so they demanded a vote and they refused to vote even though um, about 10 months later, it was found at a meeting, there was an informal poll done at the marriage the American College of Psychiatrists meeting. And it was found that an overwhelming majority of psychiatrists actually disagreed with the current version of the Goldwater Rule. In wow. other words,
3: their new version. So it's just um, unilateral. I mean, it's it's like they came down unilaterally and authoritarian. Yes, it was yeah. by FIAT uh,
1: in unprecedented ways because ethical guidelines are usually... Uh, situational considerations. Uh, in fact, if one were social to agreements found, sorry? and social agreements. Yes. Um, and if one were to have been deemed to have violated an ethical guideline, uh, there would be an ethics committee investigation. Uh, and it would be kept strictly confidential. It would not be publicized Uh, throughout that a non-member, above all, was violating ethics and uh, breaking a rule that they're not even um, authorized to impose upon uh, individuals who are non-members.
2: Dr. Lee, I I think I can, I I,
1: I guess I'll I'll
2: weigh in as an opinion, uh, kind of humbly, and see if you agree or disagree, but in, in, in exploring the answer to Uh, the question of of, I think it was Tosha's question of um why why did they weigh in this way? And I, I think it's worth being considerate and also vulnerable about I can say for me personally, I was I'm I am currently and was scared to have you on our show. And uh you know despite the fact that I really admire your actions and and personally aspire to put my the 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 interest of public safety and the interest of well-being of others in front of uh, professional considerations we work incredibly hard to get to where we are in medicine and to be considered professional and legitimate and we have there's almost I mean it's funny if you compare the standard that uh, a president goes through in terms of mental fitness versus a doctor we really have to hold a very uh, slim line in terms of how we weigh in on things and the danger for an individual psychiatrist for us as a podcast for the apa of becoming a seemingly politicized um organization in the face of the current real hatred between the sides and lack of lack of sort of acknowledgement that actually we ha- we have the same views on a whole lot of things and as they drift more and more extreme there's the fear of what if one of these takes over and and has um, the political power for 10 or, or I'm sorry not 10 but uh, for eight or 12 um, or 16 years and so I think it's a you know is it not a question of just survival that, You know oh what if this person stays in power and indeed they you know donald trump could run again and are is the apa just as scared as all the people who didn't come to your conference
1: yes that's why i believe that they um did this that they were looking after their own interest above public interest And whereas an organization such as this has um, a function of preserving itself and protecting itself, it should not supersede the role of the profession. And I would say that in the very beginning, not everyone was afraid. As I told you, all the major news networks were inviting me. Uh, the, The media actually wanted me. I was interviewing 15 hours a day, every single day, not having time to grab a meal because wow. there was so much demand. And That
2: sounds exhausting.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yes, it was. And, and that's while I was turning down dozens of invitations a day. Um, and so the APA was functioning like Congress members who were given confidential briefings about the COVID pandemic at its onset. So they were like a group that had, was privy to special information and chose to protect their own stocks and their own interests rather than act on what was necessary for the public. Because the inevitable outcome was that things would only grow worse.
0: And if you're just joining us, you're listening to Let's Get Psyched on KUCR. And we are talking to Dr. Bandy X. Lee about the Goldwater Rule, about the um, expansion of the Goldwater Rule. Tosha, you have a question.
3: Yeah. So along the lines of what Alan was saying, you know, we have this back and forth conversation amongst us in our podcast about you know how political do we want to get? Um, how much of our opinion do we want to put on the show? Um, what advice do you have for professionals, mental health professionals, just, you know, medical professionals who are um, increasingly putting themselves out in the public sphere, you know, like having a Twitter account or um, a podcast, what kind of advice do you have for us for keeping things professional, but also balancing that line of, you know, wanting to um, take part in a social justice sort of cause?
1: Uh, Yes, I think we, if we followed our Hippocratic Oath and the Geneva Declaration, which emphasizes that the humanitarian goals of medicine are to come first, then we can apply those principles to individual situations. I mean, uh, contexts have changed. We have a lot more information on public figures, so much so that when I was giving grand rounds at Harvard, the attendees there were all agreeing that they had more information on Donald Trump than they ever had on any patient they've ever treated. (laughs) So when we have that level of information, sometimes withholding our assessment can be unethical or not in line with the humanitarian goals that we are obligated toward as professionals. And of course, we have obligations to ourselves and to our peers. That's also outlined in our medical ethics. And so we have to do it sensibly. And we have to do it in a way that would be most effective. Uh, The Hippocratic Oath includes uh, the fact that there may be situations where we may even be required to give our own lives in service of uh, our professional obligations. And that we would gladly- Like in COVID. Yes, exactly. Uh, And that we would take that on. That is how seriously we take our profession and how seriously we need to take our duty to patients and to the public. Of course, as uh, psychiatric professionals, we were well aware of the dangers of speaking up since the start of the presidency. That is why we decided to band together. And that is why we decided first to hold a conference and to uh, put our information together in a book and to think very carefully before we spoke up in the public. And so we, we made a, an assessment of the dangers to the public, weighed against the dangers to ourselves. And we decided that the dangers to the public vastly outweighed any uh, danger to ourselves, even if we were to lose our lives. And, and uh, the thing about it is that prevention is much more effective than trying to intervene after the fact. And this was a chance to prevent, to if we could bring the, uh, and a lot of prevention depends on public education. So if we could bring a lot of the public on board to see what we were seeing and to understand what we were so concerned about, then we could prevent vastly more dangerous situations in the future, including to ourselves, because we know that under totalitarian governments, intellectuals and journalists are the first to be targeted. In fact, in South Korea, where my ancestry is from, uh, after or during the Korean War, um, both my grandfathers were abducted by the North Koreans for being intellectuals and public public intellectuals, which, almost all medical professionals were because doctors and professors were the most respected in society. Whatever they said would carry great weight. And that is why they were both abducted. Uh, One of them escaped and became uh, one of the most renowned physicians of his time, but the others didn't and was probably sent to labor camp. This is what happens under under fascism, totalitarianism, uh, tyrannical governments. And this is a chance to prevent such a government when we can detect tyrannical personalities.
3: It it reminds me of what you said in our last episode about how maybe Americans just don't have that recent memory of having an authoritarian leader.
1: The signs were glaring for many, Um, and those who picked up on them most urgently were survivors of um, totalitarian regimes within their households, in other words, those who have um, been subject to abuse and were survivors of abuse. I would say second were uh, mental health professionals, especially forensic mental health professionals who have worked with violent personalities. Uh, I personally worked in prisons and uh, with street gangs uh, um, in public sector settings where um, many times oppressive households are formed when a mentally impaired person is a dominant person in the household. And survivors of totalitarian regimes from abroad who are immigrants who recognize the signs immediately. Because, uh, as you know, um, democracy or full blown democracies are very recent phenomenon, and many other societies have been oppressive. And that is the reason for emigration and and adopting a new society as as their uh, parent country. And so so these individuals, and also scholars of fascism, historians, uh, were able to detect the signs, but not the vast majority of the American public.
0: Dr. Lee, you have a master's in divinity. Uh, it, I ask you, are you a person of faith? And and how did this background factor into your thoughts and feelings about social justice and decisions you've made?
1: Yes, I, I am uh, a person of faith. But I initially obtained the degree believing that it would help me understand the human condition better. So uh, psychiatry teaches you about the human mind and medicine teaches you about the human body, uh, I felt that I could complement it by learning about the human soul. And I ended up being very grateful for my training in Divinity School because um, treating patients in uh, when, when they're mentally suffering, uh, as well as those in stressful conditions in jails and prisons, um, their first resort is to seek uh, spiritual relief. And and they tend to become very spiritual at that point, as well as those who are suffering from physical illness, and those who are reaching end of life, for example. Um, and so having that understanding, and not simply presenting myself with a biomedical perspective uh, has been very valuable in my own practice. But um, it's been a personal help to me for the first time, personal, professional help, that is, uh, with the Trump presidency, because um, as you have noted, when the American Psychiatric Association did not come on board with us, but attacked us instead, and um, and we became um, in a sense outcasts and, and um, somewhat um, and attacked, vulnerable to attack by Trump supporters uh, to the point where we were receiving death threats. And, um, and then finally, my own university and alma mater going against me um, uh, requires that you have a steady source of grounding in ethics and and uh, spiritual centering of your own. And that is where faith has really helped me. Um, and not to waver when all the authorities say that you're wrong, uh, that you are incorrect in your ethics. To stand uh, firm in your convictions requires... Uh, requires some grounding and that's that's how this has helped And uh, it doesn't have to be from a religious faith or a certain kind of religion especially uh, but I do believe it points to the importance of activists and professionals who choose to who choose a difficult path to take care of themselves and to mind their own spiritual, um spiritual centering and um and nourishment
3: now we have one minute left for another question i wanted to ask what are your goals what are you hoping to achieve with the world mental health coalition
1: well i believe that uh donald trump from the start was always a public health crisis um it was uh he served through his election as a barometer of our poor state of collective mental health from, from the start. But of course, his election into a powerful position gravely exacerbated that poor state of collective mental health. And so the World Mental Health Coalition intends to explicitly focus on society's mental health and to continue to improve it and to inform it, educate it in ways where the Public can protect its own mental health, and we do that through town halls, through white papers, through recommendations to various branches of the government, um, and uh, and so uh, it's gone. It's focused almost exclusively on warning against. Uh, Donald Trump and his effects. We're still doing that, but we have greatly expanded because our goal was always to enhance societal mental health. And people can find out more about it. We hold uh, town halls every couple months. uh, And the website is worldmhc.org, worldmhc.org
0: and that's all the time we have for this edition of let's get psyched today we did a deep dive into the goldwater rule and its expansion with dr bandy x lee author of profile of a nation trump's mind america's soul dr lee thank you for joining us on let's get psyched
1: thank you again for having me
0: and also thank you to our co-hosts, Do- uh, Doctors Toshi Yamaguchi and Alan Atkins. If you have comments, questions, or suggestions for the show, you can write us at getpsychedonkucrgmail.com and you can listen to past episodes of Let's Get Psyched on your favorite streaming platform. If you like tonight's show, please follow us and post a review. This episode was recorded remotely in our homes. Our producer is Elliot Fong. I've been your host, psychologist Dr. Aaron Parks. Tune in next week for another edition of Let's Get Psyched.